It's good to be with you all this morning, and uh, I just want to share with you before I even open up this morning that this message has spoken to my heart this week in a powerful way. And uh, I've had to lay some things down when I've studied this particular passage of Scripture in my own life, where we're talking about an ultimate sacrifice. You know, some of you know that um, I've been a chaplain for YCSO here in the Sheriff's Department for the past six years, but over the past 20 years, I've been a chaplain for the police department. I have a passion and a heart for police officers. Now, oftentimes you'll hear on the radio or on TV about perhaps a soldier over in Afghanistan that makes the ultimate sacrifice, and we mourn that as a, as a country. But I was recently looking at some statistics, and uh, it really broke my heart. You realize that 133 police officers died in the line of duty this year, 2019. 248 police officers committed suicide in 2019. 42 soldiers were killed in Afghanistan over this past year. And I look at these numbers and I think, where is the war? Where is the war? And what's really sad to me is that oftentimes the media will cover perhaps a soldier that gave the ultimate sacrifice. And yet every day, at least at least three days a week, in my Facebook page, I get officers that have been murdered, ambushed, killed in the line of duty, and it just seems to be not, doesn't make a lot of news. And it saddens me. But then, as I was studying this passage of Scripture, I thought, there's this ultimate sacrifice that's been made. It's the ultimate, ultimate sacrifice. And it's because this morning that we celebrate communion that I want to share with you what that ultimate sacrifice looks like. Because I know in my own life, sometimes I take that sacrifice for granted. Every time I take communion, sometimes it can become for me a little bit of a ritual, a little bit of a routine, and later on we're going to take communion. And I'm hoping this morning that as I share with you, that communion will take on a whole new breath of fresh air. Because I know over my lifetime, understanding what Jesus did for me, I got it up here some days, and then some days it just doesn't get down here. So this morning, as we dig into this passage of Scripture, I want to share with you the big idea this morning. And the big idea is this. Embracing what God does for us is the best thing we can do for Him. We're going to figure that out as we move along here. But I want to take you to a passage of Scripture this morning that's one of my favorites. It really explains the sacrifice that Jesus made. And it's found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. If you'll join me, would you stand with me as we honor the Lord in the Word? We're going to read that. You notice I don't have a screen up here, so I'm going to read from the back screen. So hopefully uh, Jonathan Bundy has done well for me with my eyesight this morning. So Philippians chapter 2. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, 
And every tongue should acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a powerful passage that is. Let's pray together. God, this morning my hope is that your spirit would be poured out. That there would be transformation in the hearts of people this morning that are sitting here as you've transformed my life this week. God, I pray that we would really comprehend today, that we would really embrace what you have for us, that sacrifice that you made over 2,000 years ago. Thank you, Jesus, for this moment. And we pray in his precious name. Amen. You can be seated. You know, as I thought about this passage of Scripture, I saw three basic sacrifices that I really believe Jesus made. You know, oftentimes we think about the sacrifice that Jesus made and we always kind of go to the cross, right? We always think of the cross first. What we need to understand is, is that the sacrifice started in heaven. And I want you to notice that in verse 6. And the first sacrifice I want to share with you this morning that Jesus made for us is that Jesus willingly gave up control. Jesus willingly gave up control. In the verse 6, it says, Who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped? I looked up that word grasp, and it means that it means a robbery. What's fascinating, have you ever seen a, maybe a, a picture or a movie or whatever where a woman is carrying a handbag and it's kind of over her shoulder and somebody wants to be a purse snatcher? And, and the purse snatcher grabs at it and she just hangs on really tight instead of letting go? Well, that's kind of the concept here is that what Jesus was, he, here he was co-equal with God, a part of the Godhead, and he had all this equality and he didn't hang on to it. He didn't hold on to it. He willingly let go, if you will, of his control. He put himself under the authority of his father, of his heavenly father. That was a big deal. That was a big deal. Here's almighty God, the creator of the universe who didn't cling to his rights as God. Sure, he was God-man when he came to earth, but in reality, he had to take this step in order to minister to us. He had to let that go, some of that power and that control. That was the first sacrifice that Jesus made. But the second sacrifice that I see here is found in verse 7. This is the second sacrifice. Jesus gave up his glory. Jesus gave up his glory. What does that look like? It said in verse 7, But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Now figure this out for a minute. Here is God, Almighty God, and he's got all the power, all the glory, all the authority, all the dominion, the creator of the universe, everything he ever wanted or needed. And what did he do? He laid it down to identify with you and me. Does that blow your mind a little bit? Why would he do that? We're going to get to that in a minute. But this is a powerful truth here where Jesus decided that he was going to become a human being and lay down his glory. In John chapter 17, verses 4 and 5, it says, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. He laid down, in essence, his ego, his glory, his entitlements for you, for me. I've been trying to to take this in in my own life this week. This is a personal God, the God of the universe, who decided one day that he's going to lay down his rights and lay down some of his power for us. 
Does that blow your mind at all? It does me. I wish I could comprehend it more. What's amazing is when he laid down his rights, he came to be a servant. Here he was, Almighty God, the one who is to be served, and now he wants to become a servant? Are you kidding me? Sacrifice number three. Jesus gave up his life. This is where we go to the cross. This is what we celebrate on Communion Sunday. Jesus gave up his life. You know, back in 2005, I was a chaplain for the Phoenix Police Department, and we had a, a real tragic thing happen. One of our officers was killed in the line of duty, and his name was R.J. R.J. was a canine. He was a Belgian Malinois. His handler's name was Brian, Hananiah. Brian became a dear friend of mine who ended up leading to the Lord throughout that period of time when I was a chaplain there. I liked, I loved R.J. because I would do ride-alongs with Brian and R.J. would be in the back seat and there would be a, that center window in the back seat of the old Crown Vic and he would stick his nose out in front and he would lay his muzzle right in my left shoulder and drool all over me. I loved R.J. He was a sweetheart, and yet when he was needed, called upon, he was there. Well, one day, Brian and R.J. were chasing a bad guy down an alley. And the bad guy lived in that alley, or lived outside of that alley, and his car was parked there. And because Brian was chasing him with, his, with R.J., R.J. Uh, was off lead, and Brian felt it was really important for R.J. to be in a down position because he didn't want R.J. to to bite the wrong person or to attack the wrong person. And so he put R.J. down in the middle of that alleyway. When that bad guy got into his car, he decided that he was going to run out of that alley with his car, and he drove right over the top of R.J. and dragged R.J. 100 yards down the road and killed R.J. And so the strange thing was, is after that, I was asked to do R.J.'s memorial service. Now, have you ever tried to do a memorial service for a dog? I was wrestling with all of that. I was saying, God, what do you want me to say to these people? I mean, the mayor's there, the dignitaries are all there, all the canine officers are there. They treated it just like a regular officer passing away. And I got to thinking. And so I shared at that memorial service, I said, what person would lay down their life and become totally obedient to the point of death? other than Jesus Christ. I got to thinking, you know, maybe that's a bad illustration, but I thought, what's dog spelled backwards? <laughs> yeah, you'll get it maybe later. <laughs> if, if you're dyslexic, you'll get it really fast. You see what I'm saying? It was a powerful moment. But I was able to share the gospel at that memorial service because of a dog who was totally obedient to the point of death. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. You know, a lot of people, and that's in verse 8, I want to share, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And I thought, what made his death unique? You know, I've been challenged in the past about the cross. What I mean by that is that there are a lot of people who have died horrible, torturous, 
horrible deaths. People who have been martyred to death, people who have given up their lives. And we focus a lot on that. And I had somebody ask me one, say one to me one day, she said, you know, what difference does it make? Sure, Jesus suffered on the cross, but a lot of people suffered. Back in Nero days, when Nero was the Roman emperor and there were new believers being burned every day to light up the streets of Rome. And so we got to think, well, what's unique about Jesus? He was God, and he didn't have to do it. He didn't have to do it. He could have called that crucifixion off any day, any moment. In fact, some people even shouted, take yourself down off the cross if you're the king of the Jews. But in reality, he stayed on the cross and he went through that punishment for us, a perfect person who's sinless and thought of you and me as we just sang and said, I love you that much. I love you that much that I'm willing to suffer and die for you even though I don't deserve it. And most everybody in life is a sinner, Right? We deserve to die, but Jesus took our place. And what's been really hard for me some days is I think about, for God so loved the world, but God so loved you and me that he would do that for me. I've heard this statement many, many times where Peter Peterson said, well, if I was the only one at the foot of the cross, Jesus would have still died for me. So my next question is, I looked at this and I thought, so why did he do it? Why did he do this? Well, my first point is this. Somebody needed to fix a mess that man couldn't fix. Somebody needed to fix a mess that man couldn't fix. Friends, we were all in a mess. Sometimes when we go back in our lives, there's a lot of people who maybe got saved early in their life and they came to know Jesus maybe at three, four, five, six years old. And so for some of us, we can look back in our lives and say, you know, I really wasn't that bad of a person. And so we sometimes take the sacrifice that Jesus made lightly when we were just as big a mess as the guy that from went from the guttermost to the uttermost, right? We were all a mess. Scripture says here, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I love what the message says. Eugene Peterson writes in Romans 3.23. Listen to what he says. Since we have compiled this long and sorry record as sinners and proved totally incapable of living the glorious lives, God's will for us, God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself, a pure gift. He got us out of this mess we were in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by means of Jesus Christ. Friend, I don't care where we've come from. We were all a mess. All of us. Nobody can sit here and say, I'm good enough to go to heaven. I'm good enough to live this life that God's going to someday look at my record and say, oh, you're good. You can come into heaven. No, we were all sinners. We all were messed up. What has he saved us from? He saved us from hell. We don't like to talk about that. That's the mess we were in. We were condemned to death. Look at what it says in Romans 6, 23. 
Some of you know this scripture by heart, but I'm going to read it again from the message. Work hard for sin your whole life and your pension is death. Isn't that interesting? I love that translation. What's your retirement pension if you think you're going to get to heaven by good works? You're condemned to death. But God's gift is real life, eternal life, delivered by Jesus, our master. Amen? I just go back, and this is something that I've been praying over and thinking about in my own life and say, man, I needed Jesus. Do you need Jesus this morning? I need him. I'm a mess without Jesus. And praise God, he turns that mess into a wonderful message. Amen? But secondly, why did he do it? Well, I I love this because he said, Jesus became a human because he is a relational God. He's a relational God. You know, we, sometimes we think that, that Jesus and, and God is this, is this presence out there who doesn't really care or want to identify or doesn't really want to relate to us. That's why we talk about in Christianity that it's about a relationship, not about a religion. Jesus became a human because he wanted us to see that God wanted to be a relational God. Let me read about it in Hebrews chapter 4. We don't have a priest, Jesus, who is out of touch with our reality. Boy, isn't that a great way to think about it? What is your reality? Jesus is not out of touch with that. Why? He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and let and get what he is ready to give. Take mercy and accept the health. Accept the health. Jesus went through everything that we've gone through in our lives. That's why we can go to him and have this unique relationship because he knows he's got it all wired. He understands. I remember an old song we used to sing when I was growing up. No one understands like Jesus. Why? Because he wanted to have a relationship with us. Do you have a relationship with him? Thirdly, Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice because he loves us. 1 John 4.10 says, This is love, that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Remember when you were a child, maybe some of you, obviously this song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, we are strong. When I'm weak, he is strong. Look at that up there on the screen with me. And I see there's two words that are emphasized. Jesus loves me. Do we get that? Jesus loves me. Ah, but there's another word that's emphasized. This I what? Know. Do we really know how much Jesus loves us? You know, I'll never forget a story about a guy. can't even remember his name now. This just comes to my, my mind right now. That He was a guy that, that, that was 
lost his, his legs in Vietnam, and he was walking across the country on his hands. And he told me a story about when he was in Bangladesh, India, and there were these little children running around in the garbage dump trying to find scraps of food to eat. And he was in his wheelchair at the time, and he was rolling around watching these children, and they were singing. You know what they were singing? Jesus loves me, this I know. And I thought, wow, these kids get it. You know, some days, maybe we even wonder, oh yeah, we say Jesus loves me. But do you really feel this love this morning? Because it was the sacrifice that he made because he loved me. I, it's hard for me to, to even comprehend that at, at days because of what a jerk I can be. But you know, you read that and you say, what is Paul trying to tell us in that passage? Well, I think what Paul's trying to tell us is that we too should have the same attitude that Jesus had. In Philippians 2.5, it says your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now, I looked up that word attitude again, and and what it means is it's a mindset. It's an internal conviction. It's, It's an embracing. Remember what our... Our big idea is, is embracing what God has for us. So I'm thinking, how do I embrace this sacrifice? How am I supposed to have the same attitude that Jesus had? Well, in a little bit, we're going to do communion. And here's where I think we need to identify the same attitude and test yourself this morning. I had to deal with this myself this week in my own life, where I had to release, number one, control of my life in an area. Because if that's what Jesus' attitude was, is that he released control and put himself under the authority of his Father, then as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we need to also put ourselves under his control. And my question is, when we go to communion this this morning, one of the attitudes that we need to adopt is, am I placing everything in my life under his authority, his control? Does that make sense? So that's attitude number one we're supposed to adopt. Attitude number two, if we look again at what Christ did, he humbled himself, becoming a servant. You know, we live in an age where it's all about our rights. It's all about our entitlements, right? And what Jesus did is he laid down his entitlements, laid down his glory, and we need to learn how to do that in our own life. And I had to do that this week in an area of my life. Boy, it was a rough week for me, I got to tell you. See, when we look at his sacrifice, we need to adopt the same attitude. We need to embrace what he has for us and what he has for us. He wants us to be a servant, to get our egos out of the way. Thirdly, if he presented his body a sacrifice, I think we need to adopt the attitude that we need to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Amen? I love what Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says. This is powerful. 
So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering, a sacrifice, if you will. Here's the punchline. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. See the big idea? Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to the level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I love that translation. You see, we are sucked in by our culture, amen? We live in a, in a messy place, this world, these days. And what, what Jesus' attitude was is he wasn't going to get sucked into the culture of the day. And what was that culture? Legalism, Phariseeism, right? We don't need to get sucked into that culture. And so every day it's a battle for you and me to yield our lives over to Jesus Christ so that we too can run counterculture, thinking the right way. This morning we're going to take communion together. And I'm hoping that we can think about some things together. So I'm going to ask the folks to pass out the communion and just hold on to it for a minute. I'd like to explain a few things. I'm hoping this morning, my prayer for you this morning, I've been praying for this for several weeks, that communion this morning would not only be extra special for you, but it would bring a whole new understanding of what Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 11, where he said, examine yourselves before you take communion because we should never eat or drink, he says, in an unworthy way. And so as they pass out the elements... I'd like you to think about a couple of things. Number one, perhaps this morning, God's spoken to you for the first time that you've never really entered into a relationship with this incredible person, Jesus Christ. You've never accepted him into your life. You've never had a, a, what we would call a relationship with Jesus. Oh, you believe in Jesus, but you've never had a relationship in Jesus. And this morning, that's an opportunity for you before you take communion for, for, for those of you who know Jesus and have been around this Christian thing for a long period of time, when Scripture says to examine himself, I thought, wow, what better way to examine ourselves? And now from now on, every time I take communion, I'm going to ask those three questions. God, what in my life do I need to surrender control? Secondly, what entitlements 
what glory am I seeking, but I'm feeling like I don't get enough? And what do I need to lay down my ego? And maybe, maybe God, where do you want me to become a servant rather than to be a prima donna, if you will? And thirdly, God, is there something going on in my life right now where I am sucked into the culture of the day and I've been compromising my life? Because listen, friends, when you hold that cup and that bread in your hand, you are staring into the very thing that Jesus did for you. Amen? It's a, it's a memorial. It's a symbol of his sacrifice. And when we come to that in an unworthy way, we're saying, Lord, I don't, I don't really fully embrace what you have for me. So I want to encourage you this morning to take a few quiet moments. Just, just some time to, for you to reflect. And if you've never accepted Christ, this morning could be that day, that morning, that, that time in your life. When I ask that question, have you ever accepted Jesus Christ into your heart and life? I want to share with you this morning. I am offering you, God is offering you the greatest gift of a lifetime. And this morning you can accept that. Later on, I'm going to ask you to really step up to the plate and respond to that. But for those of you that know Jesus, I would like for you to take just some quiet time, just a few minutes. And as you look at that cup and look at that bread, the body, the representation of Jesus' ultimate sacrifice, I would encourage you to just take that at your time. I'm not going to lead you through it. I'm just going to have you just go ahead and just take some moments for you to spend some quiet time before Jesus. It may be that song, Jesus loves me, this I know. I don't know what's going on in your heart this morning, but I know that God's been wrestling in my heart for weeks. And I've been wanting to share this message with you in the worst way because he's spoken to me so loud and clear. Love you Thank all. you for Take listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.